Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Genesis, chapter number 22. The book of Genesis, chapter number 22. We've been in a series all month called Healthy Transitions, and this weekend concludes the series uh, that we've been on. Every single weekend, we've been looking at uh, uh, examples in Abraham's life that we could glean from to help us with our own transitions. And every single weekend, I believe God has spoke, spoken to us. How many people have been blessed by this series uh, for this month? It's really been a blessing to me. A lot of people have been going through transition, and I believe it's been a blessing. I'm going to read uh, 19 verses uh, in this particular chapter because I want you to have a context. I know uh, you're, you should be familiar with this particular chapter or at least the story of it. And so we're going to read it, uh, but, but as you read it, here, here's what I want you to keep into context. Uh, I believe that Genesis chapter number 22 uh, is the Old Testament commercial glimpse trailer of uh, uh, what is culminated in the life of Jesus Christ. It is, to me, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Nothing else comes closer to it in the entire Old Testament. But there's, there's something that I believe that we can glean from this that I think is going to help us all. So I'm going to begin reading at the first verse. Here it is, Genesis 22, first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the wood, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? I think his voice would have went up just like mine did, trying to figure this out. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. 
This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. That is just good stuff. So if you're taking notes, all my nerds, write this down. Here's the title of this message. Can you give it all? Can you give it all? This is the question that I would like us to answer before this service is over. Can we, can I give it all. The narrative of Abraham and this moment stands head and shoulders above any other situational activity that has happened in the Old Testament. The fact that it happens 22 chapters in to the first book ever written gives you an indication of how badly God wanted to make sure his people had a glimpse into what he was going to ultimately do in his son being crucified on the cross. Abraham has waited 100 years for this child. In a relationship with God, he's waited 25 years for this child. Called out at uh, age 75 to go into a relationship with God, he is now uh, about 112, 118 years old, before he's tested in this way. Let me give you the bookend of Abraham's life. Abraham's life starts out by leaving everything for God. And the way he ends his life is by giving everything for God. How many people do we have in this church that are honest, open, and transparent? This is a hot church, right? That's our acronym. We are a hot church. We are honest, open, and and transparent. Is there anybody besides me that can be honest enough to say that when you came into a relationship with God, you left some things, but there were still some things you needed to give up? Anybody besides me? You gave your life to Jesus, which means you left your sinful nature. You left the lifestyle of sin, but leaving is not the same thing as giving. Leaving everything you have and giving everything you have are two completely different things because you can leave an area and take everything with you. Anybody ever moved? Anybody know of anybody in your family, because I know it's not you, that, that, that are pack rats or hoarders, and you get ready to move and they're like, we can't throw that away. That's, that's the napkin that you wiped on your mouth when we first met. And you're like, it's a napkin and it's nasty. Throw it out. Leaving everything and giving everything are two different things. When Abram starts his relationship with God, he leaves everything he knows. But now coming towards the end of his life, God is asking him to give everything that was promised to him by God. What is staggering to me about this particular scenario is how easily Abraham 
responds to the request. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. I mean, he rubs it in in the request. You know that son, your only son, the one that you've been waiting for for 25 years? Yeah, that one. I want you to take him up on a hill that I'm going to tell you about later, and I want you to take him up on top of that hill and burn him up as a sacrifice to me. Here is Abraham's response. Okay. There was no, let me pray about it. That really doesn't bear witness with my spirit. God, I'm not sure you're actually telling me to do this. You know, you called me into a relationship with you, and you promised me that this was going to be my child, and now you're asking for it back. Satan, the Lord, rebuke you. I know this is the enemy trying to disguise his voice as God, and I rebuke every power in the space and in the earth and the principalities above. No. I have heard a lot of preachers try to give creative license to what Abraham felt in this moment. But what I see in Scripture is the man obeyed the directive he was given to by God. Without any pushback, he goes, okay. And he gets up in the morning and grabs his son and a couple of servants, and he starts out on this journey 50 miles from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. A 50-mile journey, a three-day trip for them, about a 45-minute trip for us. 50 miles, I mean, that's the DFW Metroplex still. If you live in Cedar Hill and your friend lives in Allen, you'll be there in about 45 to 50 minutes, depending on how heavy your foot is. But he goes 50 miles over three days to get to this mountain that God's going to show him. And when he finds the mountain... He tells his servants, I want you all to wait right here. My son and I are going to go up to this mountain. We're going to worship the Lord, and then we're going to come back. Abraham knows the request that's been given by God, and he does not flinch. Now, you need to have some historical context here so you can understand the world that Abraham lived in. Child sacrifice was not an abnormal thing in Abraham's culture. Abraham lived in Canaanite territory. And in Canaanite territory, child sacrifice was already going on. The thing that's interesting is that God is asking Abraham to do the same thing that some of these false gods have been asking for. And every time a false god uh, in these people's mind has asked for a child, they actually burn the child up. God says, I want you to bring your child and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham has a context to child sacrifice, and he goes, okay, the God I've been in relationship for the last 25 years wants me to sacrifice my son uh, just the way, in the same way these other gods do. Now, my God talks to me in a different way. I've never even heard these other guys respond to the way, uh, uh, to any request that we've made, but my God talks back to me. We have a relationship. He wants my son. I've seen these other guys do it. Maybe he wants to prove a point. I'm going to do the same thing. He gives his son Isaac the wood. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a little kid. This is not somebody who's eight or nine years old. By all estimates, he's at no younger than 12, but he might have been 18, maybe even 20 years old. I'm going to put him at 17, okay? I'm going to not make him legal. I'm going to put him right at 17, okay? So, so, so and, and you know that he's strong, because, you know Abraham's old, because uh, Abraham, if we're going to put him at 17, Abraham's 117. And so you can tell uh, uh, exactly how old the parent is by what he decides to carry. 
Here's what he tells the son. You carry this wood. I'm going to carry, get this, this knife and this stick with fire on it. This is the blessing of having children. It's one of the great benefits. This is why no matter what they do, you don't kill them. Because they have finally matured to the age to get that trash to the curb. They have finally got to the age where all dish duty belongs to them. This is the reason why we don't kill you, because we want these dishes cleaned. In Jesus' name. Isaac is carrying the wood. Abraham's carrying a stick with fire on it and a knife. They are walking up the mountain, and Isaac is a very perceptive young man. He looks at his father and sees a knife and a stick and some fire on it. He looks in his hands and he sees wood. He looks back at his daddy and sees a knife and a stick with fire on it. He looks in his hands and he sees wood, but he does not see sacrifice. Why have we come all the way up this mountain and we didn't bring any animals with us? Which produces the question, um, daddy? Where's the, you know, sacrifices usually have like an animal. So, so where is that animal? And, and here is Abraham's response. His father's response is, the Lord himself will provide for us. As soon as Isaac hears this, he goes, okay. They continue walking up the mountain. They get to the place where they're going to erect this uh, altar and have this sacrifice. And, and Isaac puts all the wood down. And uh, Abraham has his fire and his knife, and this is where things get awkward because this is a 17-year-old young man, strapping young man that can carry wood up a mountain. And his 117-year-old father, who's not that strong anymore, if a foot race were to break out right now, who do you think would win it? If there was going to be a wrestling match right now, who do you think would win it? Okay? And so... He is sitting here, and he goes, okay, here's the wood. I'm going to put the fire here. We're going to use that in a minute. Uh, Isaac, hold this rope. Isaac is like, okay, I'm holding the rope, and this is where you know it's awkward. Now, here's the thing that that is interesting to me. Isaac says nothing. We always talk about Abraham's faith in this moment, but no one says anything about 17-year-old Isaac, who is watching his father tie him up, and he says nothing. He doesn't ask him, why is he doing this? He doesn't punch him in the mouth and run. He just stands there because he had already been given a word from his father. And he was holding on to that word even when a situation was tying him up. I don't know who I'm talking to in here, but this man is going around him, tying him up, and the only thing he keeps saying is the Lord himself will provide. 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 I have no idea what my father's doing, but the Lord himself 
will provide. I don't know how many situations we may have in this room that may need that statement applied to it. The Lord himself will provide. You may have lost your job, but the Lord himself will provide. The relationship may be on the rocks, but the Lord himself will provide. You may be feeling like you're losing it mentally, but the Lord himself shall provide. He's walking around. And then Isaac is now bound. And Abraham just kind of leads him. Like, okay, get on the wood. He just submits to his father and lays down. Does this sound familiar to anybody but me? This commercial preview of what Christ would do on the cross is absolutely phenomenal. He's not sparing any details at this point. And here's what's amazing. All of heaven is watching. And they're like, this dude is really going to do it. I mean, I know you told him, but I mean, he hasn't even said like, but what if? He just says, what is going on? And then Abraham gets his knife out. Now, God didn't interrupt him when he went up the mountain. He didn't interrupt him when he arranged the wood. He didn't interrupt him when he tied the the boy down. He didn't interrupt him when he laid the boy down. Only when he grabbed that knife. All of heaven was looking and was like, he really going to do it. I think he's really going to do it. And as soon as he grabbed that knife, shing. That's how they sound in movies. Um. As soon as he grabbed that knife, then he was like, all right, stop him. Angel, go down there and stop that man. That's as far as I can go with the preview. I am not about to share John 3.16 with him. There's not going to be two fathers that have the testimony that they gave their only begotten son. This is as far as I'm going with this trailer. They can find out the rest a couple of thousand years later. Go down there and stop them. Because here's the thing. Abraham was going to do it. You got to remember something about Abraham. We talked about it last week or a couple of weeks ago. Abraham was gangster. When his son, nephew, got caught in some trouble, Abraham went down there and beat up some kings to get his nephew back. And in the process, delivered a whole city. So it ain't nothing to Abraham to obey God. But when he got ready to do this, an angel had to come and say, Abraham. That's why he said it twice with exclamation. Abraham. You ever seen your young child doing something that they shouldn't be doing? Stop. And they're like. Abraham. Abraham. And he looked and was like, yes, here I am. I'm doing what you told me to do. Stop. I don't need your kid. All these other gods that you all have been worshiping, they let you burn up your kids. This is the only God who has come in the history of all the earth who said, I actually don't need your child as a sacrifice. I'll provide my own. See, the type and shadow in this story is that Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, and God sends a ram as a substitutionary death. Sound familiar? 
In the New Testament, what happens in Jesus Christ is that God sends his son to provide himself as a substitutionary death for us. No more animals were needed because I'm going to tell you right now, if Christ would have died on that cross, there would be no pets. You wouldn't have a dog. You couldn't be a cat lover. You couldn't own birds. You couldn't have a goldfish. So much sin would be in the earth, we would be filleting everybody up. Everybody would be vegetarians. All the cows would get burnt up. There'd be nobody left. So he provides the perfect substitutionary death in his son on the cross in the New Testament. In this Old Testament glimpse, God says, I've had enough. Stop it. I can't believe you're about to do that. I don't need you to do that. Those other false gods killed your children. I'm the only God that will spare your child and provide my own. He then says something that is absolutely amazing. He goes, now that I know that you were going to do this and you're not going to do this, I swear by my own, ma- my own name that I'm going to bless you. Let me give you the three points that I want you to have as we answer this question. I want you to set it up by writing, you can't give it all if, dot, dot, dot. You can't give it all if. Point number one, you can't give it all if you think it belongs to you. I'll say that again. You cannot give it all if you think it belongs to you. You see, the only thing that you can give away is what you know is something that you don't rightfully own. That it might be in your possession, but it actually does not belong to me. And this goes for anything in your life. When you're making a transition, if God's telling you to give it all, you will not give it away if you actually think you own it. For Abraham, it was his son, but for some of us, it may be our identity. It may be our, our, our way of seeing things. It may be our sexuality. It may be our finances. It may, it may be a whole assortment of things. But if you think it's yours as opposed to his, you will not give it away. I've heard so many people in worship will sing a song like, I give myself away. So you can use me, except for that, and that, and you surely cannot have that. (laughs) But for everything else, except that, I will sing. I give myself away. No, that's not how the song goes. You can't put an asterisk by things in your life that you love so much that he can't have them. It's either all or it's nothing, and you don't get to determine what goes. He does. Here's what was so powerful about Abraham. Abraham hears this statement. I want you to give your son your only son whom you love. Here's here's Abraham's response. Okay. He left that next morning. He didn't go, I'm going to pray about it for three days. I really don't know what he meant. You know, sometimes the Lord says stuff, but you don't know what he means. So let's just, let's just, let's just calm down and analyze the situation a little bit more. This is not even practical for God to ask for. No, duh. That's why it's called a faith walk. If it made sense, it wouldn't be faith. It would be common sense. 
when God gets ready to ask you something, ask you for something, it is going to look, look a little bit foolish or it's not faithful. Point number two, write this down. You can't give it all if you don't believe giving is worship. Now, you got to have this. This is uh, uh, Genesis 22, verse number five. Here it says, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little bit farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Abraham saw this moment as an act of worship, not an, ab- not an obligation that was being requested by a mean God. You see, it all comes down to the way you see it happening in your life. God's asking for my son. <laughs> I prayed for, pray for like 25 years, and then now he wants my son. I mean, if you, okay, if you want it, I'll give him to you. Here. Take him then. I mean, since he want him and everything. You're so unfair, God. You take everything from me. I don't get to have nothing. We laughing because we know it's true. God's asking you for something. <laughs> Take the tithe then. Take it. You know, since I'm going to be cursed and stuff, then. Take the tithe then. You want an offering? Here's your offering. Can I tell you, God, can I tell you heaven's response? Can I tell you the kingdom of God's response to that attitude? Keep it. The kingdom of God's response to people that feel like they're obliged to do this is keep it. You can have it. See how good you can manage it. Oh, you want your life? Keep your life. Jesus taught that if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it away, you will keep it. The kingdom is upside down. You can't give away anything if you don't believe that it's worship. Here's what Abraham said. I'm going up the mountain with my son, and me and the boy are going to worship the Lord. He knew what was in the back. He knew he had to kill his son, and he said, this is an act of worship. I see this as an act of worship to the Lord. He wants my child. I have no idea why he wants this boy back after I done waited 100 years to get him, but since he wants him, I'm going to give it to him. It's going to be an act of worship on my behalf. I made this uh, statement earlier. Uh, ladies, if uh, Valentine's is coming up, and let's just say that you talked to your boyfriend or your husband and, and you said, hey, I would really like to do something special on Valentine's Day. I'll let you come up with what you want to do, but I would like it to be special and meaningful. And so he takes you to uh, a five-star restaurant and, and, uh, and then while you're sitting down, he looks you in the eyes and says, you happy? You good? Because this is what you wanted. You wanted something special, right? And then right about that time, somebody comes over with three dozen red roses, or organic red roses. I mean, he turned the corner, and you, you smelled the smell. Bees followed him in. The pollination was so high. From the res- I mean, everybody's just walking in. The guy's like, here, one, two, three. And your husband goes, or your boyfriend goes, Happy Valentine's Day. 
Eat up. Get the, get the bone-in, get the T-bone, bone-in steak. It's like $75? What does it matter today? This is what you wanted, right? See, I'm already starting to feel. The, the whole atmosphere shif- shifted. Started on this side and just rippled. Mm, 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 mm. There's something that I have found out about women. Women have an anointing in the, in the neck area and in the hand area. When they, something starts getting wrong, just all of this snake charming, sign language, they just start, all of this is just, uh, from the shoulders up, is just a whole, this is something that you desired, but you didn't want it with this attitude. Well, if you couldn't handle that, why would you thank God? You, you, you would say, you know what? <laughs> Let me tell you what you can do with this. <laughs> right? That's how it goes, right? Here's what you can do with this steak. And here's what you do with these flowers. I've already called Uber. You thought I went to the bathroom. I already called Uber. Okay? You ain't even got to take me home. Okay? Happy Valentine's Day to you. You You wouldn't receive a gift like that if you didn't think it was given out of a heart that wanted to. Not that needed to, that If you don't see this worship, don't do it. It's really funny. Uh, uh, Inevitably, uh, we will have a a first-time visitor or somebody that's been coming for a couple of weeks uh, come up to me or others in the staff or volunteers and say, hey, um, I think y'all are forgetting something in your service. And we'll say, what what are we forgetting? Um, You didn't pass the plate. Y'all keep forgetting to do the offering. How do you keep the lights on in here? Because you don't have an offering. So are you forgetting to do the offering? Like nobody hardly even mentions the offering. That's because the people that come here, we teach them that, that giving is worship. And if I have to remind you every weekend to give, you actually don't want to. And since we're committed at Embassy City Church to only do ministry at the level of our giving, we are glad to give you whatever you give us. So we can have lights and sound in worship, or we can do candlelight and an acapella in worship. That's not on us. That's on you. You can have somebody to counsel with through the week, or you can get on YouTube and get some counseling from somebody for free. That's up to you. But we will do ministry only at the level that people give. And if I have to have two sermons every weekend, one to exhort you to give and another for what God has told me to feed you, I'm going to wear myself out. If you don't know God is good, I can't keep convincing you every single weekend to get a dollar? No. It turns into manipulation. Then that means I have to entertain 
So then you only give based on the performance. So then now we over here. And then you're like, challenge. And then I'm like, that was good. Now let me get a second offering. Oh, you like that one? Let me get a third offering. Now let me get a fourth offering. And then it just becomes a standoff between the pulpit and the pews, and that's not the way the Lord set it up. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you don't see it as worship, don't give your money. Don't give your time. Don't give your talent. Because if you're not doing it, out of a pure heart, all of heaven says, you can keep it. Keep your voice. It's awesome. I know you want to sing. You think you're doing it. So keep your voice. Keep, keep your time. I know you're volunteering, but you hate doing it every weekend. It's such a, stop it. Keep your $10. It's fine. Keep your tithe. Keep it. Do you with 100%. If you don't think he can do better with 90 than you can do with 100, keep it. I won't have to come behind you and tell you how that's working out because the Bible already tells us. So you can't give it all away if you don't see it as worship. Point number three, write this down. You can't give it all if you have second thought. Oh, I love this point. You can't give it all if you have second thoughts. Here's what I love about Abraham. He did not have a second thought about this. Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Got it. Walks up the mountain, lays that boy down, pulls out his knife. There was no pause. <laughs> he didn't lay him down and go, well, we're just going to sing a hymn song and see if God's presence shows up. Maybe he wants to say something else. Maybe he wants to put an addendum on the end of this. No. He goes, got him here. You said it. I'll grab it. And he goes, stop. I don't need you to do that. Since you didn't have a second thought about giving, I'm not going to have a second thought about blessing. And, and I, here, Abraham, I'm a, I can't believe you was about to give your son. That was, I can't believe that that was in your heart to do and that you were going to do it without provocation, without me asking you 22 times, without you getting 17 fleeces and four prayer cloths and getting with your intercessory prayer team and praying about it for four months and then coming back for a final confirmation that the cotton turned pink and, and whatever, that you was just going to do this because I told you to do this. Since you were going to give without a second thought, I'm going to bless you without a second thought. Now, now, here's how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so good. I'm a, I, listen, I'm, ooh, the what, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Here's a, I'm a, I swear I'm going to bless you. Who, I'm going to swear. I'm going to swear on something. I'm going to swear on something. I'm going to bless Who's as great as me? Is there anybody as great? As, I got to swear on something. I got I to put this on something. I, so I grew up in L.A., uh, born and raised. And, and uh, growing up, we, there, there was this idiom that we used to use when, when we wanted to vet out, if we were kids, if we wanted to vet out, that's my disclaimer, we was kids. Um, so if we wanted to vet out if somebody was telling the truth or not, we would say, put that on something. 
okay? And, and depending on what you put it on, we knew if you were lying or not, okay? So we would say, hey, they would say, man, I'm telling you, I met Shaquille O'Neal last week at the bus stop. Man, put that on something. Man, I put that on my bike. Man, you lying. <laughs> you don't even like your bike, okay? We would know that they were lying. But if they said, hey, man, uh, uh, I, got, I got two courtside seats to the Lakers game, uh, uh, and Shaq and Kobe are playing. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and they would say, put that on something. And they said, man, I put that on my mama. Everybody would be like, okay, all right. Because I know you ain't going to blow your mama up. Now, you'll blow that bike to smithereens, but I know you would not blow your mama up. They would say, put that on something. Okay. You put that on something that's greater than you. God said... For not having a second, of thought, second thought about what you were going to give, I'm not going to have a second thought about my blessing, but I'm going to put it on something. But I'm trying to find something as omniscient, as omnipresent, as all-powerful as me, and I can't find anybody but me to put this on. So I'm going to swear by my own name. I put it on myself that I'm going to bless you. So if anybody asks you the reward for obedience to what I tell you to do, tell them I myself will bless you. I'm not going to send somebody that you think is great. I'm sending myself to bless you. I put it on myself. I swear by my own name, I'm going to bless you. Just don't second guess or have a second thought about what I've asked you to do. We had an incredible moment happen uh, in our home a couple days ago. Uh, I've shared with you that my boys are homeschooled and they have the hottest teacher I've ever seen in my entire life. Juliet is their teacher, and, and Juliet is uh, an incredible educator, developer. She, she just, there's not much the girl can't do. Uh, the boys had had um, an incredible week last week, and in my discussion with Juliet, we decided to get them a Nintendo Switch. Now, a Nintendo Switch to a nine and seven-year-old in our house was... You, you know, the blessings of the Lord raining down on the Ross household. They had been focusing. They had been getting A's on their tests and their quizzes that they have once a week. And so we rewarded them because when there's, bad, when there's bad things that happen, there's negative consequences. But I believe that when there's good things that happen, there should be good consequences. And so they got a Nintendo Switch, and they are just like, oh, oh, you're buying us a Switch? And then, yes, and then uh, uh, I got them games to go with the Switch. And then Nathan looked at the receipt, and when he saw the total, he said, you would pay all that money for us? And he reached in his pocket and pulled out a 20 and a $25 gift card and said, I want to help. And it brought the total down $45. And I was so happy. I, I thought, 
Nathan's name means gift from God. I'm like, you are living up to your name. <laughs> but then this week happened. And they weren't as focused. To the, to the point it made their super hot teacher hot. <laughs> and she said, ever since that switch came into this house, y'all have lost your focus. I have the right mind to tell your daddy to take it back to the pit from whence he came. No, I'm just kidding. It was GameStop, not a pit. Anyway, so, so, so of course, they're mortified. <laughs> I can't take it back. The thought psychologically impaired them. Oh, don't take it back. We'll do anything. Just don't take it back. So Juliet and I are conferring on what to do. Consequences, they had basketball games coming up this weekend. Do they even play in their basketball game? They're, they have to feel negative consequence, just like we want them to feel positive consequence. And my nine-year-old child, Nathan, walks into the room with these huge tears in his eyes. And while his mom and I were conferring, he says, Dad, if you've already made up your mind to take this back, if you want, if you want us to take the Nintendo Switch back, I'm fine. You can take it back. And I'm studying for this message, and God reminds me of a child who was given something that they loved but was willing to give it back even though they loved it. Ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you that it's not worship if you weren't in love with it. It's easy to give up something you hate. But when you give up something that you love, it's an act of worship. And God's only response is not just to bless you, but to swear to bless you by his own name. Can you give it all? I hope that the answer is yes. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.